Thank you so much for being here. I apologize that I am not near as cute as those kids. <laughs> cute left me a long time ago, and uh, now I rely on snazzy shirts to get by. So, uh, but I, I really appreciate our children's ministry doing what they're doing, uh, teaching our kids uh, to experience God's love and to sing songs to Him. I, I'm really grateful that they're doing that. You know, for the last uh, couple of weeks, we've been looking at the enemies of Jesus, the people who attacked him. And it's really, it's, it's, it's more than just the people, it, it was their attitudes and some of their actions that are still uh, alive today, still very much a part of our world today, as you're going to see that this morning in this passage that we're looking at. But you know, one big thing that happens in our world uh, that, that has crept into the church, uh, this may not be something that we like to think about, but but it's, it's fraud, and there's all kinds of fraud that take place in the world. I heard a story uh, a couple of years ago, uh, the New York and New Jersey port authorities posted a job for electricians. Uh, they, they had a job that needed to be done, they needed a lot of electricians, and so they posted a job, and in the posting they put uh, that they were looking for electricians who were experts with Sontag connectors. Over 170 people applied for the job. There was only one problem. There is no such thing as a Sontag connector. And they did that on purpose because they really did have a need for a lot of electricians. But they were looking for honest electricians. And so the 170 individuals that applied for that job, none of them were hired when it came time for them uh, to, to bring in the electricians for their jobs. The reason they didn't hire them is because they were fraudulent. They sent in saying that they were expert on something that didn't even exist. And unfortunately, that's what most of us are experts on, things that don't exist. But in this case, it, caught the, it cost them an opportunity uh, for a job. There was a, a Greek philosopher named Sophocles that said, I'd rather be, I'd, I'd rather fail with honor than to succeed with fraud. And here's the thing, what if we took that statement and applied it to our walk with God? I would rather fail with honor than to succeed with fraud. And Jesus dealt with this attitude in this passage that we're going to look at together this morning. The idea that there are people, religious people, who many times are frauds. 
And Jesus dealt with that head on. Now, I'm going to tell you what we're going to be looking at this morning really isn't for the person who doesn't go to church. If, if you're here today, if you're watching online today, and you really don't attend church a whole lot, I'm about to talk about the dark side of church. Really, this is about those of us who have been in church a long time, and those of us who would consider ourselves to be religious people. Because what Jesus confronts in this passage, all of us are capable of slipping into. And in fact, some of us sitting here or watching online may be frauds. We didn't realize we were being a fraud, but we are. And it's really only religious people that become frauds when it comes to this thing that we're going to be looking at this morning. In Matthew chapter 15, the Bible tells us that some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem. Now this is interesting because this is an official delegation from Jerusalem. Jesus is not in Jerusalem, he's in Galilee. Galilee several miles from Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the hub of Jewish worship because that's where the temple was. And so all the, the, the organization of temple worship, all of that existed there in Jerusalem. And, and they've heard of Jesus. They've heard of what he's doing, the teachings that, that he is, is teaching and the miracles that he's doing. And so they send an official delegation to him from Jerusalem, from the head of the organization, to confront him and ask him some questions. And, they, and this is what they asked. They said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, let me pause right here for us to understand what's going on. This has nothing to do with what's going on in the world today, first of all. This is not a question about hygiene or pandemics, okay? That, that's not what was taking place. For us to understand what's going on, I have to give you some, some historical religious context to what's taking place. Within the Jewish system, the belief was that you could touch things that were unclean. Now, when I talk about unclean, I'm not talking about germs. They taught that there were spiritually unclean objects, spiritually unclean people in the world. And if you had contact with those objects or those people, your hands physically touched them in some way, that their uncleanliness, the spiritual uncleanliness of that person or that object, would be transferred to any food that they might eat if they touched the food. Therefore, that food became spiritually unclean, and as they consumed it, they became spiritually unclean. I know we don't deal with this, but that was a big deal in ancient Jewish religion. And the Pharisees taught that if you wanted to protect yourself from this, that before every meal, that your hands must be washed under pouring water up to the wrist. It couldn't be still water. It had to be poured over your hands, up to your wrist, and that made, you, that made your hands spiritually clean. So then you could touch food and consume the food, and it would not harm you spiritually. I get it. We don't deal with this, but this was a big deal. 
And so the Pharisees show up to Jesus and they basically say, your disciples don't do this. Your disciples are breaking one of the most foundational tenets of our religion. Tell us why. Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition?" For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Again, I got to tell you what's going on here because we don't deal with this in our culture. We've all heard of the commandment, honor your father and your mother. And in our context, in our culture, we use that as a commandment that we give to our kids and we say, this is why you should obey your parents. That is part of it, but that was not the heart of the command to honor your father and your mother. The heart behind honoring your father and your mother was when they became so elderly that they could no longer take, take care of themselves that their adult children would take on the financial responsibility of taking care of their parents. That was the heart behind honor your father and your mother. And Jesus, he does not, he does not defend, nor does he try to explain why his disciples do not do the religious ritual of washing their hands. He doesn't even touch it. He doesn't even argue about it. He just looks at the Pharisees and says, okay, if you want to talk about people breaking traditions, you talk about my disciples breaking your traditions. Let's talk about some of the things you do to encourage people to disobey the word of God. And he starts talking about an ancient religious uh, custom that was, called, that was called Corbin. And Corbin, what Corbin allowed someone to do is if, you know, a child became an adult and he did not want to take care of his elderly parents, he could go to the temple, go to the priest and say, all of my financial wealth, all of my resources, I am devoting them to God. And that freed him from taking care of his aging parents. And the Pharisees taught, that's okay. If you're devoting everything to God, you're no longer obligated to honor your father and mother by taking care of them. And Jesus said, tell me why you teach people to neglect the word of God in their life. Now, all of that means nothing to us, but it gives us the context behind this greater issue that we're going to look at this morning. Because here's the thing, when we neglect the Word of God and we disobey it, for whatever reason we might justify, whether that be a religious reason or a social reason or a selfish reason, when we neglect the Word of God and disobey it in our life, we lose the power of God in our life. And the Pharisees were encouraging people to break this commandment of honoring your father and your mother. So Jesus confronts them with it. And then he goes on to say something. He says, you hypocrites. Now here's what's really important because this is the first time chronologically that Jesus has called the Pharisees hypocrites. 
We're going to talk about that word hypocrite in a moment, but this is the first time that he's done it. And he looks at it, and he says it emphatically, okay, I say you hypocrites. He, he had anger in his face. That's the tone behind looking at them and saying, you bunch of hypocrites. He goes on to say, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In other words, he's looking at the Pharisees and he's saying, you guys, you guys know how to say all the right thing, but your heart doesn't honor me. We talked about this word heart last week and what it means. Jesus, when he talks about our heart, he's not talking about the muscle that's pumping blood through our veins. Our heart in the scriptures is the core of a person. It's who they are it, it's them emotionally, it's, it's them physically, it's them logically. It is the core of who they are. We call it character. So another way of looking at this is Jesus would look at them and say, Isaiah was right talking about you guys. Your lips, they honor me, but your character's not in it. Yes, you say the right things, but your character is not where you say you are. And he goes on to say next, he says, they worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. They worship me in vain. Can I just tell you something? Every one of us here, including myself, everyone watching online, we have all done this. We have all worshiped the Lord in vain. The hope is that's not our habit. That that's the exception that happens in our life from time to time, but that we have not made a habit of worshiping the Lord in vain. Because we've all done it at one time or another. Hopefully we're just having a bad day. But what he was talking about right here is a group of religious people who have made a habit of worshiping the Lord in vain. They knew all the right things to do. And they had a lot of rules that they kept for appearances and that they impressed upon others so that, that it became a burden to, to worship the Lord. But, but, it, but if, it, if it stinks and it's not fun and it's a burden to you, that must please God. And that's what they had done. And Jesus was saying, your character's messed up. You know how to worship, but your character's not engaged. You know how to say the right things about God, but your character's not engaged. And then Jesus did something. Well, this is really, this is really why the Pharisees made a move to crucify Jesus. It all started next. Look at what the Bible says. Jesus called the crowd to him. In other words, he called all the people around that were watching what was unfolding. He, he called them in close. And he said to them, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. But what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Now to you and I, we look at this and say, yeah, okay, we get it. This was groundbreaking in ancient Israel because they had been taught for centuries that your environment is what makes a person sinful. 
that, that, you, that the people you hang out with, if you hang out with bad people, that makes you a bad person. That if you're in a system that's corrupt, that makes you a corrupt person. And it's not what you do, it's the people around you when they do things and you come in contact with them, that makes you a sinful person. Now imagine what that does to a society and how everyone begins to look at everyone else and judge who they can be around and who they can't be around. Because if I'm around the wrong person, that makes me a sinful person. Jesus, he pulled everyone in. He said, listen, you need to understand something. It's not what you put in that makes you sinful. It's what comes out of your mouth that reveals the sinfulness that lives inside of you. And that was groundbreaking. Groundbreaking in ancient Israel. How do we know it was groundbreaking? Because look at what happened next. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when, you, when, you, when they heard this? That's a really nice way of saying, You ticked them off. You completely undid centuries of teaching when you declared that sinfulness comes from inside and not outside. Jesus replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. This is interesting because a couple of weeks ago, several weeks ago, if you guys remember when we were going through the parables of Jesus, one of the parables that we looked at was the parable of uh, the wheat and the weeds. And what Jesus taught in that parable of the wheat and the weeds is that good and evil in the world can grow beside each other. And that as evil grows, it does not have the ability to hinder the growth of good. The two grow together, but evil can't squash or outgrow or harm the good. And that at the end, at the end of time, that it would be God and his angels who come and pull out all that is evil and leave what is good. Jesus is referencing that here with the disciples. He looks at them and he says, guys, don't pay attention. Don't pay attention to the Pharisees and what they're teaching. Because they're a plant that my heavenly father didn't put in the ground. And he is letting them grow, but at the right time they will be pulled up from the roots. And then he goes on to say, leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. This reminds us that we should choose our influencers wisely. Who we allow to influence us in this world. Because there are many blind guides in our world. And we need to be careful that we're not letting them influence us. This is one of the most uh, uh, alarming things that I saw in the recent election, is how many believers allowed political uh, personalities really become a major influence in their life. Let me just tell you, they're, they're blind guides. They're blind guides leading those who blindly follow. 
And we need to be careful about who we allow to influence us in this world. Whether that, I get, I get concerned when I watch young people be influenced by movie stars or by super athletes. This is, some of those people are blind guides. But mom and dad, I'm telling you, politicians are blind guides. And we can be just as influenced. We need to be careful. Jesus is looking at his disciples and he's saying, guys, don't let them influence you anymore. They're blind guides. The Bible tells us that Peter said, explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull, Jesus asked? Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. So again, Jesus drives home the point that what we're a part of in the world, that's not what makes us sinful. What makes us sinful is, is what comes out of us from our character, from our core. Listen, we all know that we are engaged in corrupt systems. The political system is corrupt. The educational system is corrupt. You, 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 most of the businesses that we work for, they're corrupt. All, all the systems are corrupt. Listen, but there's good people in the systems. And we go to God and we say, God, change the system. And God says, I'm not about changing the system, I'm about changing people's hearts. And then those people work within those corrupt systems. That's the way it's always been. That's the way it will always be. And that's what Jesus is talking about. And so Jesus was saying, he's, he's, he's saying to his disciples, guys, it's not the environment around us that defiles us. That's not what makes us sinful. What makes us sinful is what's in us, our character. What is in our core that, that is bad that comes out of us. That's what makes us sinful. And then Jesus begins to explain some things. He says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Every child that listens to this message is going to be so happy. I don't have to wash my hands anymore. I'm not encouraging that, and that's not what Jesus is saying. But this was groundbreaking to the disciples and to the Jews who were listening to Jesus at this time. Jesus talks about what comes out of our character. And he gives a list of things here. And I want us to just, I want us to look at them for a little bit. Things that we might gloss over kind of quickly. He starts off by saying evil thoughts. He's not talking about the uh-oh thoughts. He's talking about our premeditated evil thoughts. The thoughts that we have when we when we ruminate, when we think about doing something that we know we shouldn't do. See, there's, 
All sin is evil, okay? All sin is bad. But can I tell you the sins that have produced the most harm, the most guilt in my life? It's not the ones that I did by mistake where I had a knee-jerk reaction to something going on in life. Definitely, I've sinned at times when I've, you know, something happens in life and my knee-jerk reaction to that is sinful and wrong. That, that is still sin, that is still wrong. But those are not the ones that have kept me awake at night. The ones that keep me awake at night are the ones that I thought them out. That was premeditated. I knew I shouldn't do that. I knew I shouldn't be engaged in that. I knew I shouldn't say that. I knew I should respond differently. And I thought it out and still did wrong. Those are the evil thoughts he's talking about right here. He's saying, that's in your character. That's in your core. That's what creates our sin and makes us unacceptable to God. And then he listed a series of sins. It's not a complete list. In fact, if you were to go back and compare, and compare this list to Exodus in Exodus 20, you'll find that he's mentioning the first six or seven Ten Commandments. And Jesus says, these things that come out of us, first, he, he says there's evil thoughts, then he goes to murder. It's really interesting. Murder is not a knee-jerk reaction most of the time. Murder is something we think about, we decide on. And here's, here's what's so, so um, uh, you know, alarming about murder in, in America. And, and it is that in America, there's this, this dual doctrine for the value of life that is taking place in our culture right now. Right now, it, it is everything. You know, let's do everything we can to, com you know, to, uh, to combat this pandemic because life is valuable. And we want to do everything we can to, to value the lives of the people around us. Absolutely, I totally agree with that. But why can't we say that about the life that is inside the womb? Why is there this dual doctrine? Why, why do we say life is only valuable at this point and not at that point? Why can't life be valuable from conception to death? And see, here's, here's what's really crazy, is that in America, we, I know we have to vote for politicians. That's okay. We vote for people. But when we vote for someone, that doesn't mean we have to agree with what they say is wrong or right, if it's not right or wrong. And just because you vote for someone doesn't mean that we can't later stand up and say, but whoa, wait a minute, this is wrong. Yes, I voted for you, but this is wrong. And I will not stand for this. I don't care if they're blue or red, purple or green. We can do that as God's people, and we should be doing that. He goes on to say, not only is there murder that's out there he, that comes from our character, that comes from our... He talks about adultery and sexual immorality. This is the full range of all sexual sins involving married and single people. He covered it all with saying those three words. Adultery and sexual immorality. 
I made a little list of things that, that come from our character when it comes to this sin. Affairs, rendezvous, pornographic material, graphic novels, emotional attachments, racy entertainment, flirting with someone that you're not married to when you're married. You should flirt with people you're not married to if they're not married. That's normal. I'm backing myself out of a hole that I got into. And hopefully I covered that well. But the point is, is that those, those sexual sins, yes, we are in a society where sex sells. Okay? But that's not what defiles us. What defiles us is what comes from our own character. It's not what the industry the sex industry may or may not, that doesn't defile us. It's what we do that defiles us. It's not the outside, it's the inside. He talks about theft. Again, that's premeditated. You don't accidentally steal something. You kind of think that through before that happens. And then he moves into false testimony and slander. Those are, those are two types of sins that we look at and we kind of wink at them and then we don't give them that much attention. But can I tell you something? Lying about things and lying about people has created 95% of the problems we are currently having in our country. When you and I cannot trust someone's word, the very fabric of our society starts to come apart at the seam because we are built on the idea that we're going to tell the truth. And right now, that's not happening in our country. And it is creating so many problems in so many different ways for so many different people. We're in that system, but that does not what defiles us. What defiles us are the lies and the slander we say. That's the problem. And and that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, guys, it's, it's not the systems that we're in. It's what comes out of your character. Your core. That's what makes us unacceptable to God. Not the systems that we find ourselves living in. So what causes a person to commit spiritual fraud? There's two things that I want to talk about. The first one is four spiritual religious games we play. You're familiar with all of these. It won't take us long, but the first is tradition. Tradition. It's, it's what happens with tradition is that methods are more important than holy relevance. And we hang on to that method even though it's not relevant anymore and even though it doesn't communicate the gospel clearly or effectively anymore, but we hang on to it. It would have been like when the pandemic broke out, it would have been like uh, the church saying, we're not doing anything online because we believe people can only worship God if they come to this building, this room. they got to be in here to worship God. If they're not in here, they can't worship God. That would be hanging on to a tradition instead of remaining holy and relevant and believing that people can worship God at home with us while we worship in this room. 
That's what that would mean. And sometimes we fall into that. We fall into this idea of saying that we've got to hang on to the method even though the method doesn't work anymore. But we feel really good about ourselves because we're all here at church and look at all those sinners out there. That is spiritual fraud. That's what Jesus was dealing with with the Pharisees. Listen to me carefully. The Pharisees may not be a part of our culture, but the spirit of Phariseeism is alive and well. And it is a church problem. It is a religious person problem. And that's what Jesus is confronting. Another game that we play is legalism. Legalism is nothing more than keeping score of rights and wrongs. And let me tell you something. When I play legalism, you know what I've always noticed? When I'm keeping score, I always win. Isn't it amazing how it works out that way? That I always score more points than the person out there, and I win. And that's what legalism does. Legalism says, look at, look at what I'm doing, and we're keeping this mental list inside of all the good we're doing. I'm doing this, and X, and Y, and Z, and I feel really good about myself. And I, mentally, I'm just giving myself a little score. And then I look at someone who's not doing those things, or I believe they're not doing those things. And, and I deduct points from them. And now then, I feel really good about myself. And I've got all my proof and all my footnotes and all my, uh, my research that I've done that, that this is what makes me a good person and this is what makes that a bad person. And that is spiritual fraud. That's what Jesus was confronting. Another game that we play is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is playing a part instead of being sincere. Literally, it was a description of an actor. It's someone who plays a role in a play. That's not the real person. They're just playing the role of a person. That's what hypocrisy means. I, I know when my boys were growing up and, and, and we would talk to them, I, I'm primarily talking about the three oldest ones right now because our youngest one, you know, we're still training him. But, but when I talk to them about pornography and when I talk to them about um, uh, racy scenes in movies and things like that, and, and we talk through those issues, I would look at my, my sons and I would say, guys, don't you know the reason the reason that woman is acting the way she's acting is because she's acting. That's not real. She's being paid to behave that way. That's not how it works in the real world with real women. You'd be surprised how many people forget that. And what we do with our religion sometimes is we start acting. We're playing the part, but we're not really sincere about it. And that is spiritual fraud. That's what Jesus was dealing with in confronting the Pharisees and teaching his disciples in the crowd in this particular passage. Don't be a fraud like them. They're playing a part, but they're not sincere. It's not in their character. The last game that we can play is what I call externals. And basically it means that appearance is more important than reality. That people look at us and they see what we want them to see. 
but it's not our real character. It's not who we really are. We're going to great lengths to cover up who that really is. We don't want anyone to see that. So we spend a lot of time on the externals, giving an appearance. That's what Jesus was confronting, and that is spiritual fraud. The second thing that causes a person to commit spiritual fraud, it is the sinful choices of the heart, not the environment in which we live. Folks, again, we're all in, we live in a corrupt world, we work in corrupt systems, we, we, everything around us has been corrupted. But that's not what makes us sinful. Now, sometimes we say it is. Sometimes we, we want to use that as an excuse for our sinfulness. That if the system was different, I could be different. But Jesus said, no, that's not how it works. Jesus said, I change you from the inside out. Not from the outside in. And so it is our sinful choice, especially those premeditated ones, those things that we think through, that we know are wrong, that we know we shouldn't do. We know how we should respond. We've thought about it. And then we still step in and do that which we know dishonors God. And then we justify it. And that is spiritual fraud. And that's what Jesus is dealing with in this passage. And he's, he's imploring his disciples. He's looking at them, and, and through the annals of history and through the truth of God's word, he's looking at you and I today, and he's saying, don't be a fraud. Don't be a fraud. Don't be like them. Be sincere. Be real. Be truthful. Because it is better to fail with honesty than it is to succeed in fraud. I want to leave you with a prayer. It says, Lord, I want to honor you from my heart, not just with my lips. I want my worship to be fueled by your truth, sincerely praising you and reflecting your character in my life. Guard my heart from dangerous religious games and protect me from the sins that so easily tempt me. Give me a humble heart that quickly yields to you. I pray it in Jesus' name. I hope that you can pray that prayer this week and sincerely mean it because we are all susceptible to being spiritual frauds, playing the part, but our character is not you know, if you're here this morning, if you're watching online this morning, God has spoken to you and He's revealed some fraudulent activity in your life. Don't run from that. Don't deny that. Just say, yes, Lord, you're right. And I'm wrong. And let Him begin to change your heart. Because that's the only way we change. Is by Him touching our character and making it different. Don't 
shy away from that. Let him do that. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, for the power of it, Lord, the relevancy of it. Lord, how we can open up a passage and it speak to where we are right now just amazes me. But Lord, let it not fall on deaf ears. Let it not fall on hard hearts. Instead, Lord, let us humble ourselves before you and walk away with what you're offering us this morning. Let us humble ourselves. and Let us be different than we were when we came in and the places that you need to change in each of our lives. Lord, if there's someone in this room or someone watching online that doesn't know you, I, I pray that they would call out to you now and begin a faith journey with you, calling upon Jesus as their Lord. Lord, I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being at Grace Bible Church today. We'll see you next Sunday.